If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. I'm thrilled to introduce my guest today. His name is Brent Keltner, and he's the president of Winalytics. So Brent came on the show to talk about uh, a concept that he developed, or a methodology more so that he developed, called the value-driven growth methodology. And him and his company, Winalytics, actually go out and coach clients on how to implement this specific methodology. Now, Brent comes from uh, an academic career. In fact, he has 10 years of experience as a revenue leader in enterprise and early stage companies, but he's also got 10 years of experience as a PhD in social scientist at Stanford. He later joined the Rand Corporation and he's worked with clients that include AdmitHub, Ascend Learning, Credo Reference, Dealer Raider, Lexmark, Mersion, and TrueFit. So he talks a lot today about positioning your value and your product as you're having those early stage conversations with your prospects. I found a lot of value in the discussion and there were definitely some notes that I took that I'm planning to implement in my calls in the coming weeks. So without further ado, welcome Brent to the SaaS Sales Players. So we're live. Brent, welcome. Hey, Jesse. Good to be with you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad we got in touch. And I, I from our pre-conversation, and I always reference this on the show, uh, that we, we get a little time in before we go on air. But from our conversation just now, I'm excited to, to hear about some of the things that you guys coach on. Uh, I think, you know, from, from my understanding, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of good takeaways for uh, an individual seller after listening to this episode. So I want to dive into that. Before we get there though, uh, as always, I want to hear a little bit about how you got into sales and maybe some of your career progression and then anything specific around tech sales that you've done uh, as far as highlights, because it's always helpful. You know, For me, early in my career, it was always very helpful to go look at folks who've been doing this for a while and see what paths they took to get to where they are today. And so I'd love to hear your story too. Yeah, well, I'm not... I don't know if uh, my path can be emulated or anybody would want to emulate it. My handle, we do have a book coming out. We'll talk about that in a second is sales professor. Sure. I literally was a professor. I spent 10, 10 years at Stanford and the Rand Corporation doing qualitative research. Huh. Um, and I was good at qualitative research. I was even better at bringing dollars in the door, uh, but there was no reward structure for it. So one year I was the principal investigator or co-principal investigator in about three and a half million dollars in grants. And they sat me down and said, Brent, great year. This year you get a three and a half percent pay raise or five and a half percent pay raise rather than a three and a half percent pay raise. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got to find a different 
skill set. So I went, I went to the dark side, as academics said, I worked with Kaplan, their higher education group. And then I, then I went to Edge Ventures and Plus Delta Partners and Collegial Link and had four really quick growth successes and then realized there was a method to the madness. So that was my kind of how I got into selling. Huh. So very non-traditional compared to a lot of the guests. Very non-traditional. <laughs> and you said 10 years as a professor at Stanford. Well, no, I was an, I was a, a doctoral candidate. I did teach there, but then at Rand, I was a researcher and I taught at the Rand Graduate School. Oh, man. Stanford has, I think, probably the most beautiful campus of, of any that I've ever seen. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm a nerd and then I like to go walk college campuses. Uh, but that's, that's incredible. And, you know, such a great institution. There's, there's so much tech history there also. Um, and, and business history, of course. So that's really, really incredible. Uh, first question would be, you know, how, what kind of things do you think transferred over from your career as, uh, you know, in academia to, to selling and to business? Yeah, and it's a great question. And it's one of the, you know, questions we talked about before is what's different about your selling. Um, I was not trained, obviously, in traditional sales methodology. And that mm -hmm. is great for me. Uh, for this following reason, when I was at RAND and I was engaging with, I was doing interviews on training and organizational development with bank executives and insurance executives and telecoms executives. I'm an academic raised by educators. And so I was like, oh man, I got to develop a set of corporate behaviors. I got to <laughs> say what's in it for them. Right. So I would always reach out, not about RAND or the project, but hey, this is what you're going to get out of participating in this interview. And these are the other banks in New York or Chicago that we're working with, right? The, the name drops, the peer proof. And in the calls, I would always actively recap what I heard them say, and I'd always send a follow-up email. So I was modeling, I learned to do what we call now an authentic mm -hmm. conversation, authentic buyer journey to build engagement. So when I got to the commercial sector at Kaplan first, but then was really at Edge Ventures, I had my own go-to-market team, you know, marketing, sales, account management into product. And I went off to all my buddies who were in business. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing in sales strategy, or I didn't think I did go-to-market right. strategy. Like, what are you working on? So they sent me all these documents that were all about product positioning and product battle cards and competitive positioning and feature and function. I was like, where the hell is the buyer <laughs> in this? And why, and why do they care? Yeah. And I mean, why do they care? So I went right back to train my sales teams on what I had done at RAND. Start wow. with why they are on the call with you. End with what, what to, where do they see the most value and what will they do about it next? And just see, you know, ask them if they see fit and what can we do about it together? So I, because I learned in a different way, I was able to build a model, which I then trained my teams in four quick growth successes because we didn't focus on the product. We focused yeah. on how our product made our buyer more successful. Mm -hmm. And then I started Winalytics as a consulting practice to help others do the same. How, yeah. How do you think, I mean, so, so obviously a different out of the box approach, where do you think you came up with those behaviors? Cause those are in, in retrospect, I think in 2022, we know buyers respond very well to the what's in it for me. Uh, approach and they, they obviously respond well to consistent follow-ups and some of the other behaviors, Th those would have just, you just would have built those in, uh, you know, in your, in your career 
in academia, I guess I'm curious, yeah, how those habits formed. I think there was one that was intrinsic, um, and I think there were others that were learned. And, and so these are two of our keys to deal velocity. Let's take the intrinsic one first, which is, I'm naturally curious. I'm just curious why people do what they do. And that's genuine, and you can't fake mm -hmm. that. I'm, and I, what I would encourage anybody who's in early uh, sales role is figure out what you're passionate about. Right. Like what products represent you well? And I don't care if it's selling baseball caps, right? Wholesale or it's selling a SaaS software or it's selling mm -hmm. some kind of, you know, retail service, but figure out what you're passionate about. Cause at the end of the day, you will do better if you are genuinely curious about your buyer and what they are doing in their day. So most discovery, you heard me say this, is shallow discovery. We ask a lot of polite questions mm -hmm. to show social courtesy. And then guess what? We never use that information when we talk about our product and we piss off our customers. Like, why the hell did I just spend 10 minutes telling you all this <laughs> stuff, which you never yeah. even bothered to use? Yeah. So focus discovery, not on shallow discovery, value discovery. Where is your buyer today? What would make them more successful tomorrow that you can help with? What do they do? What are they working on? What are their key goals? What are the key initiatives? What's keeping them from being more successful? What can you solve to make them more successful? Focus on that. What's the buyer's success statement, success criteria, more successful future? That's value discovery. If you do that because you like what you do and you like the product, you will win a lot more all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I also love what you said about genuine curiosity. I think that's really good advice. Uh, if you're not, if you're not passionate about what you're selling and also if you're not just insanely curious about what makes your buyers tick, then it's going to be really hard to motivate yourself to do the behaviors, which is the, you know, consistent follow-ups and asking the hard questions and making the phone calls and sending the emails. If you are curious, then it just sort of feels more, I was telling this to somebody else today, uh, it feels to me sometimes like I, I do detective work. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a detective. And part of my job as a detective is going to uncover what's, what's wrong in a business and diagnose some, some areas where we can help and figure out how people tick. Uh, I was telling this individual that I use LinkedIn when I prospect and we were talking specifically about building org charts and I was sharing how I like to use LinkedIn because I like to look at the face of the person that I'm reaching out to. Uh, or I like to look at the person that I'm building into the, the org chart, because if you just have a name and a title, it, you know, there's really nothing else there. But if you're looking at someone on LinkedIn, you can see where they've worked before, you see where they're based, you can see where they went to school. There's so much more data that can give you that, that can help at least give you some hypotheses around what does what's in it for this person and what makes them tick a little bit. So I think that's, those are huge. And yeah, I want to dig a little deeper here. So the, I think the question that's going to help but us before get, we leave it, I just yeah. you know, kudos to you. The detective analogy is awesome. And when we love what we do, the other thing they sense that they're like, Hey, this isn't a salesperson. It's a peer thinking about right. how to solve problems. Again, whatever you're selling is like, they're talking about, they clearly think about this as well. They're not trying yeah. to sell me something. We're like peers trying to solve a problem together and that's magical. And it just right. builds natural engagement when you love what you do and what you're selling. So that's a great way to think about it for your audience. You know, be a detective. Yeah. Be a sleuth yeah. together with your buyers. Yeah. That's, that's how I think about it. And it, it, you know, again, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I wasn't insanely curious about how my, my customers operate and what's, what's in it for them. I, I love that. I love selling deals where, so I had, I had a prospect call me back 
about a year ago, we had done a large contract. This is a big uh, home services company in the U.S. And <clears throat> excuse me, this this prospect called me and said, "Man, I got the highest bonus that I've ever gotten this year because we were able to implement your system, and you helped us do that. And it was insane. It's going to change the you know, it's going to change things for my family in a big way. That was more rewarding than the commission from that sale in a lot of ways. And I later had that person's manager tell me." is a publicly traded company. They said, you know, Jesse, it must feel pretty cool to feel like you've influenced uh, a stock price for a public company. And I was like, I never <laughs> thought of it that way. Never thought of it that way. That's obviously not what I set out to do, but in solving problems for the business and implementing solutions, uh, it impacted their, you know, their financial direction, which was really interesting. So that's the key. Let me ask you on that one. How many yeah. times did you end up going back to that person for, as a reference for other potential oh, buyers. A hundred percent. So not only are they a good customer reference, there's someone that I've also used for job interviews. And that's a fun thing to offer up as an AE is, you know, Hey, yeah, you can call my old boss and they're going to say what they're going to say, but why don't you call one of my old customers and hear what he has to say uh, about the work that we did together. Isn't that, more, you know, in a lot of ways more important than what my old manager is going to say about me. So I've got him on speed dial for both of those uh, activities and uh, I actually might have him on the podcast at some point too, to sort of share a buyer's perspective uh, as someone who's signed, you know, some very large contracts with, with tech vendors. Uh, he knows what's good and bad when it comes to, you know, what's in it for me. And he did some, he's done some pretty deep evaluations and uh, you know, he's in a very competitive business where lots of tech vendors, lots of other kinds of vendors also are, are competing for, for business with this company. So I may have him on the show at some point. He's a really great guy. Awesome. And then just to point out, so for some of your folks, again, earlier on, like the reason to focus on what your buyer's trying to accomplish and then helping them accomplish it is those folks are gold mm -hmm. that you're going to use. When you reference for the next accounts, use them again and again, and honestly use their stories because what your buyers want to hear about is less from you than how have you made my peers more successful. Right. So you got your three or four go-to stories from people like that. And it's like, mm -hmm. Hey, when I worked with Joe so-and-so at this and they, you know, this was, was the outcome for him, you know, could we explore whether you and I could have a similar outcome? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, I want to dive in a little bit to the work that you do at Winalytics. Uh, I know, yeah. you know, I think you, you encounter a lot of sellers and a lot of teams in, in the work that you're doing there. And I think a topic that can get our conversation really uh, in depth here is what do you see uh, the best sellers doing differently than the, the not so best, the not so great sellers out there? Yeah. yeah. And so you, we, you asked me, what would I do differently? I yeah. talked about the one that was intrinsic. And then I talked about the one that was learned. And the one that was learned is I started to run all of my meetings, these research interviews in three parts. Uh, and then I trained my sales teams to run meetings in three parts, which is you start with the buyer. Why? Mm -hmm. Why are they there today? What are they hoping to accomplish? What would be make them more successful? And often you want to give a brief overview on you just because it's courtesy. But, hey, you know, what, what could lead you to get the most out of this call? Um, if you are, you know, let's take Red Education because I'm going to give, give an example. They have a you know, an engagement platform for students on college campuses. So, you know, were you most interested because you wanted to think about building peer-to-peer -peer community 
or about right. just centralizing all of your communication so that you don't have multiple ways of communicating from students. There's one way to do it um, or some other goal. We'd love to know more. So start with your buyer why, because now phase two is when you talk about your product, mm -hmm. you can link back to, I heard you say you're interested in this. Here's how our product can help. So phase two is you always link your product. Any generic product conversation is a snoozer for your buyers mm -hmm. without connecting it to your their goals, which they shared. Your product sounds like blah, blah, blah. It's just noise. Right, right. So phase one is figure out why they're there. Phase two is talk about your product through the lens of why they're there. And phase three is end. And always, you know, we always say, Hey, we're coming to time. We got 10 minutes left. I want to just make sure we have time to see, you know, where, where, what, what your feelings on where we might add the most value if we have fit or not. And then what would we each want to do next? So phase one is why are they there? Phase two is how can we help? And phase three is what do we each do about it to qualify to the next meeting? If you run your meetings that way and it takes practice with every client, I used to build it with my teams is one page checklist that I can immediately after a call say, okay, what did I get? What didn't I get? What do I need to get the next time? Just practicing that three-part meetings will put you on a different plane. I definitely love the three-part and I'm going to try to incorporate that in, in some of my meetings. What kind of stuff would be on the checklist? I'm curious what sort of items would you be looking for in, in a call that's structured that way? Yeah, so the, the first part is probably you know, just prompts on like, it's better to start with initiative questions and goal questions. Hey, tell me more about, you know, what initiatives you have in your mm -hmm. uh, call center currently, are there things around cost control or, you know, better, better user experience? Okay, great. Um, tell me more, how does that relate to any business goals, right? So who set the goals? And, you know, as you think about that, is it, do you have a goal for where you want to be six months from now? nine months from now. So just tell me more about what you're trying to accomplish around things we're working on. So that's the mm -hmm. first part. Okay. Second part of the checklist is what did I present capabilities that align to their goals? Did I offer something that's unique in terms of my, what's unique about our positioning? And did I share any customer stories on who else I like helped? And yeah. then the third part is, did I recap your success statement? Did I ask you to take a next call? And did I ask you who you're bringing to the call and why, right? Why, why would that person need to be involved? So it's like three parts, three checks. Did yeah. I get that? Could I put it in a follow-up email? Could I recap it at the end of a call? I think three is easy to remember too. It's not, it's not impossible to think about. There's, there's really three you know, cornerstone outcomes from every conversation. And if you hit on those, obviously there's, you know, there's some substance underneath those, but breaking your calls into, you know, three parts, three stages does, I think, simplify it versus, I don't know, you have an agenda with like five or six or seven different bullet points on it, and you're going to try to get to all of it, but it doesn't necessarily come together seamlessly. Uh, I think that's a really, really interesting approach. So, okay, cool. Uh, and so what kind of prep goes into something like this ahead of time? What, what, how do you guys coach reps to, to prepare beyond just the checklist? What other ways can, can someone prepare for these conversations? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you said is like, if you, if you think about that, it's like, okay, what are the, 
what are the goals that I think probably could come up? And I'm going to look at their LinkedIn profile. I'm going to do a quick look at their website. I'm going to do any Google's press releases on, is there any business initiatives? Mm -hmm. Is that person quoted in any way? So I'm going to go in with, as you said, I love that word hypotheses mm -hmm. about, you know, what they might be interested in. And so then I'm just going to think, hey, might be these two or three things. Okay, what product capabilities, a little bit of prep, what I talk about, what stories might I share um, so that you're already kind of road mapping in your head uh, what we talk about as situational fluency. You're not kind of caught off guard if it's like, I'm, you know, and, and over time as you prep them, I mean, there are probably only three or four buyer goals any product really sells into. So if you think about, okay, buy goal area that I hear, what are my capabilities? What are my stories? Now you are just prepping those. What's their role? What do they care about? What can I learn about their business initiatives so I can better speak to those with yeah. my, you know, their pre-canned talk tracks and stories, but now you can pick them to align to what your buyer cares about. What, uh, that's great. What, what, I mean, I'm sure this is more, more rare than this would be the exception, not the norm. What do you, how do you coach someone who says, man, I had, I had this call with such and such a company and it was a group of three or four people on their side and they were just tight lipped the whole time. You know, maybe one person on the team spoke up, but the other three people, they were, they were technical buyer personas. They didn't, they didn't care for the, the sales technique. They were just, you know, sort of there again. I think this is a fictional scenario because for the most part, when you're on a call with these type of buyers, they're usually pretty eager to talk about the why and the what's in it for them and to talk about, you know, the overlap in the middle. So what would you say to someone who says, man, I got this prospect that every time we get on the phone, they're just there. It's a tough crowd. They, they won't open up on what they really need. They're maybe they're wasting my time. Maybe they just, maybe they're, their manager asked them to be on this call. Um, how would you, you know, help stimulate a conversation like that using the, the three-part technique? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and we do have a, just a very simple technique and it's part of that value discovery is just to pause and just the talk track, you know, look, uh, SAS, you know, there are hundreds of things I could show you all and I could bore you to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, I really need to know before we start, what are the two or three most important things for all of you? And if you don't know right now, you know, let me just talk you through the most common scenarios for our buyers, and then I'll send them to you in an email. You guys can talk about it and agree. What do you want to focus on? And then I'll focus. We can set up another time. We can focus on that. We'll save all our time today for when we're better prepared for what you want to talk about. That's really good. That's, and, you know, I always try to put myself in the shoes of who my buyers are. And I've just got to think that buyers respect the hell out of that too, because it's, look, I'm not going to sit here and do a tap dance for you for 30 minutes, 60 minutes. That's poor salesmanship. What I am going to do is really try to boil it down to, to what's specifically the why here. And if there's an, an overlap, let's try to figure out what that is. And then let's establish what that means. Right. So uh, yeah, I, I think in 2022, most buyers would would genuinely appreciate the the simplification of it and just focusing on what's important versus, you know, back to what we talked about earlier, coming in, not listening, throwing a bunch of features and functions out there, 
opening up a demo environment, you know, specifically to SaaS, when you have someone that opens up the software interface and says, let me show you all the cool things we can do. And here's how this works. And here's this integration. And, and you know, here's this screen and this report. Uh, I think, you know, rather than do that, like you're saying, it's, it, it is, it's coming in and doing that value discovery to find out what's the most important. And then I think what, what I imagine a lot of your clients and, and the reps that you work with end up finding is that it's easier to close deals because you have, you know, you're, you're kind of cutting through the hedges and you find just that clear path to, to victory versus having to circle around the bushes a hundred times to try to figure out what everyone wants to accomplish. Um, but yeah, maybe you've got a story or something you could share on no, that. Bingo. Front. I mean, you just yeah. said it uh, great. It's like, it gets you to the, it gets you to yes or no quicker. And that's what we want. We don't want maybes and selling, right? Right. Right. So I think of Greg Carter at TrueFit, who they were a client. It's a retail personalization platform. So they sell to like UGG and Macy's is a web app where you can mm -hmm. basically put in your personal parameters and get style and fit recommendations. And so in 2019, we, we started working with them. You know, they got a ton of first meetings because everybody had that problem. Can I get to the right product? Uh, right. And then they'd have a lot of meetings that, you know, stalled, a lot of deals that stalled or um, that went multiple demos and then never went anywhere. And after we started working together and, you know, this year they had a record year and I was just kind of interviewing Greg, we're doing our own success story with them. He's like, you know, every tech company gets really excited about their own product innovation. They do. Yep. Can and we, for, we forget that it's all about our, why, what is the buyer's goal? Right. Right. Because right? yeah, they'll listen. Everybody's excited by transformation. Doesn't mean they're going to buy. He's like, Everything shifted. We just changed our conversations to not to be excited about our innovation, but to be focused on why they were there, the business goal. And so it, they were they hit their goal in October, October like 10th of this year, smashed their annual goal total just wow. and had a lot of things that were working for them, but it was the sales positioning and execution. Um, uh, so it works there, but I'll tell you on the, the point you made, uh, I once had a, a conversation with um, a Strayer University uh, and a, the provost had been the champion. So a senior person who had walked through, this was a uh, platform that helped measure foundational skills like critical thinking and hmm. problem solving and stuff like that. I had a conversation and then she set up a follow on call with her team and she couldn't attend because she was sick or had to stay home for her daughter or something. So the team showed up and was exactly what you just said, all sort of like mom and like, oh, no, we're all set. We're all set. No, yeah, right. we do that already. And 10 minutes into the call, I was like, all right, sounds like you guys are all set. It sounds like it was a misunderstanding in your provost part. Doesn't sound like there's anything work we could work together on. Uh, so it, it, am I right? You guys don't see any of this stuff could help advance your goal. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the seller who was on that I was managing on the call was kind of shocked, but yeah. I just followed up the email to the provost and said, you know, I, I recapped your team. These were the reasons you were interested. And uh, they didn't seem to think those are relevant. And I CC them. She literally emailed back like 60 seconds later, said that's exactly what we're interested in. Three weeks later, we closed like a <laughs> $150,000 deal with Strayer. That it's, it's so funny uh, how, yeah, I've seen that so many times where if you just go to the, the the heart of it and 
you know, a lot of reps just don't spend the time doing almost trying to disqualify an opportunity. And that's exactly what you did. You, you went in and said, well, you know, look, if there's nothing here, uh, I want to just do one last due diligence to, con- you know, one last bit of due diligence to confirm. But if there's nothing here and the group doesn't want to see what I, or want to want to hear what I have to say, or doesn't want to work with me on figuring out how we can meet together in the middle, then what else can I do? And I think a lot of reps seem to, you know, they just get married to, to the opportunities they're working on, or they get married to the conversations they're having. And rather than just be direct and say, all right, well, Hey, look, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste mine. Let's uh, let's call it, you know, I'm going to send one last email to the provost just to make sure, but that's it. We'll call it a day rather than, you know, just the, are you sure? And maybe if I show them this and maybe if I demo that, or maybe if I give them this value pitch or whatever it is, uh, they just, you know, they take so much longer and it's just much, much more, it's much less of a hassle to just, again, go right to the heart of the matter. I love that story. Yeah. Product doesn't close anything. I mean, this is your instinct on that is strong. It's like your product is a tool. Yeah. Right. To demonstrate that you can build, bring certain outcomes, but that they don't have an outcome they care about moving forward. Um, we lose in selling mostly to inertia right? The number one reason for we lose is not because they bought something else. It's because they didn't do anything. Right. Right. The status quo is the biggest status quo. So until they articulate a better future that they're willing to invest in, there isn't a sales opportunity. Mm -hmm. What else? I I love this. I love your stories because they're, you know, right. Again, they pack a lot of punch and they're, they're very relevant to, to my listeners who are out there every single day having conversations and likely trying to figure out how to, to build a strategy for themselves to, to move things along. Uh, tell us some other stories or what are some other things that we can, we can learn here? Yeah. I mean, this is another one you and I talked about before. I would very strongly encourage folks that are early on in their career to build the habit of thinking about uh, micro presentations when you demo, right? You know, micro presentations, we all the time start working with teams that have like these, you know, 20, 30, 40 minute demos, literally, where they're just droning through and here's the user experience and here's the administrator experience and here's the dashboard. And, you know, you don't, they haven't spoken back to any buyer value. So people check out and they're all working online, you know, politely in the meantime. So, Think about this, like that you should demo and we talk about five to seven minute kind of bursts. Mm -hmm. Every micro presentation should start with, um, you know, I I heard you say that you're working on this. So I'm going to present this part of our functionality. Does, Does that sound right? Does that sound of value? Okay, here's how we solve for that problem. So again, ready education, like oh, this is really all about building peer community. Okay, well, let's show you the part about that builds peer-to-peer community, makes it easier for, for keep kids to collaborate, find each other, you know, like-minded interest groups, or this is all about minimizing the number of communications from different departments. Okay, let's show you that part of the platform. So five to seven minutes, recap their goal, align your product, and then share one of your stories. When we worked with Campus X, when we worked with Marquette, they went from five platforms to one platform, reduced their costs, and found more student satisfaction. So put a story at the Mm -hmm. end of every one of those micro presentations, just because stories sell, not your product functionality, and then stop and just say, hey, you know, of those things that I shared with you, 
Could you put any of those to use? How would you put those to use? Where's the first place you would put them to use? Most, most of you now stop and listen to demos you see. And I, I don't, I do this as well. So I'm not calling in particular. <laughs> most questions that people ask in a demo are totally useless. What do you think? Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> any questions? Like, yeah. really? Yeah, no. Well, that, and I especially well, like, oh, go ahead, please. Well, just, the, I mean, think about five to seven minute bursts, right? And you're, you're saying, I'm sharing this because you shared that. Here's a story. And then just ask them, from what you've seen, could you put that to use? How would you put it to use? Don't just say, what do you think? Say, do you see anything useful here? Where's the first place you would apply something like this? Are you activating them around a problem you can solve? So micro presentations, that's what you guys call that. Yeah. And it's, I, I like it because I think in this day and age, attention spans, especially on in the Zoom selling world are very, very short. And there's a million bells and whistles always going off. And if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to spend 30, 40 minutes demoing something, and you're expecting a full audience and a you know a full attention span for that. I think you're just you're 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 very misinformed. <laughs> and so I think, uh, like you said, breaking it into these little micro sections and always pausing to ask. And this is something that took me a lot of practice in my career was pausing to say, "Is this resonating?" Uh, what I heard was, you know, you guys have a challenge in this area, and I'm going to show you now. Uh, how we would think about solving that, right? And I think there's also an approach to, to trying to not be too assumptive either. And a lot of sellers that I hear uh, are very assumptive. You know, we will be able to, you know, the, we, we could definitely solve your problem with this bell and whistle or this feature or function. And rather than say, you know, here's how we'd think about it, or here's what we've observed from other clients using words like we've observed with other, other clients that when they had this same challenge, they did this. And to your point, how would you go about, uh, you know, using our platform to solve that challenge would be one example, but pausing all the time and just keeping it in short bursts versus again, a 30 minute presentation keynote with, you know, some glimpses of the software interface or the, you know, whatever else. So I love it. This seems like a presentation <laughs> keynote. Good summary. Yeah. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. <laughs> Please, by all means, uh, yeah, take take that one. Um, uh, but wanted to pick up on one other thing you said, which is I think for folks that are earlier in their career and have the opportunity to build the right muscle, I, I started to say, and we have some posts that are coming out on this, selling doesn't work. Be a buyer guide, right? right? Uh, to your point, like you got to ask them to take ownership because um, we can't, you, sellers can't close deals. We can guide people to understand the value. We can guide them through the steps in their buying process. But that assumptive posture, really what you're doing is taking ownership away from the buyer. Mm -hmm. And we need them to step up because it doesn't matter what I do. It's what they do that matters the most. Yeah, that's uh, dead on. Buyer guide is what you get. So that's a great way to put it in. And yeah, I think, you know, prospects, they smell the, the, I've heard it said as commission breath. I've seen, you know, some of the other thought leaders out there on LinkedIn post it as commission breath. They can smell the commission breath. And if you're being assumptive, if you're calling their, their baby ugly, which happens all the time in software, 
you know, you might have someone who's very technical, who built a homegrown system that's solving a big business problem. And then you come in with your fancy venture backed, uh, you know, slick interface system. And you're going to call, you know, call what they spent, I don't know, 18 to 24 months stringing together with lines of code, ugly and inefficient. And, and so it, it really, and I don't even know, I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts on this myself. I just try to be empathetic. I've had some leaders call me out on, Hey, you're being very assumptive in this call, or I heard you tell that prospect that their homegrown system was kind of you know, janky or ugly or whatever word. I, I probably didn't use those words, but at the very least, I might've said what you're not getting with your homegrown tool that we can do is this and that. And it sounds very assumptive. And it sounds like, wait a minute, you don't know anything about our business. You're coming in trying to tell me how to, you know, build the technology stack in our company. That doesn't make any sense. You're a sales guy, but I'd be curious how, you know, how you would coach someone towards being more, and we can use the word empathetic because I think it is empathy, but also just being a little bit, having a little bit more situational awareness when they're interacting with their prospects and not being overly assumptive. Well, you said it earlier in the call, the, the best thing to do, honestly, when you talk about your work with peers or you talk about uh, customer stories, now it's not assumptive. It's just dialogue, right? So another way to say what you just said is, you know, uh, so, so cool. It sounds like you guys made a lot of progress on your homegrown system, we do find some of our other clients when they get to their homegrown system, you know, they can kind of hit this constraint. Mm -hmm. Over time, they'll hit these constraints in terms of functionality or data. I don't know if you guys are experiencing that, but just curious if you're seeing similar things to other peers. So you put it as a statement around, you know, what you're seeing with peers or other users and just asking if they're experiencing something similar. Yeah. And I, I know I used the word observe earlier. That's one that a manager armed me with a few years ago and said, you know, you need to say we've, we, we've observed working with our other clients. It's not assumptive. It's, it's just been our observation. We're not saying that's the gospel truth, but we are saying that it, you know, it seems to be the trend when we work with clients like yours. Uh, and, you know, this is how we've gone about solving that problem before. So yeah, it's, it takes away that, that assumption. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've started to talk about a lot is even in the high pressure world of sales and revenue generation, the golden rule applies, which right. is if you serve your buyer first, you will do better yourself. Uh, and I'm just now going to assert that because I've been doing this for 20 years, first 12 as an individual producer, the last seven as a consultant. You got to trust the process. When you focus on your buyer and your buyer's why and not you, you will close more dollars faster and you will not have conf conflict in your day. It just works. It feels better too. It's more rewarding. This this is a really tough profession. And, and you mm. know, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, I'm still starting out in some ways, but also feel like I've been doing this for a long time. 10 years in, in sales is probably like 20 or 30 years in another profession in some ways. Uh, but to, to your point, I think if, if there's a reward element to it beyond just the commissions and beyond just the, the, the brownie points internally and at hearing the bell ring when you sell something, it is, it's, it's being able to actually fulfill on something, solve a big business problem. And that's why I encourage a lot of people to try to get into the enterprise side of selling, just because I, I, I really enjoy this, uh, the strategy of it, getting into 
big companies that I probably shopped at as a kid, uh, you know, think Macy's or whatever, uh, you know, big, big brands that have been around for a long time have big problems. And when you can come in and actually solve those, it's, it's very rewarding. And if you're putting the buyers first, like you say, uh, it, it just, you know, it, there's a good karma about it. And, and, you know, I don't know if everyone believes in karma, I at least believe in business karma, what, what goes around comes around in terms of how you put yourself out there in business. And, uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, and I, you can hundred percent, um, uh, I I'll just say this for your skeptical viewers. I am a <laughs> hyper competitive guy. I hated yeah. the lose. Until I was 15, I couldn't play a board game uh, that I wouldn't. Anyway, I hate it. I hate to lose. I'm still hyper competitive. Yeah. Uh, this was more of a uh, learning for me uh, that honestly, when you sell this way, it got me to my goals a heck of a lot quicker. And I was yeah. naturally curious, but I wanted to win. I wanted to win. I wanted to put points on the board. I wanted to make more money. Uh, and I just found the more I anchored on my buyers, why always recapped it to them, always had them confirm it, had them take ownership, had them, their boss take ownership, just focusing on that. It was like the quickest path to victory, figuring out which deals I could drive to a close, forget my time and all these iffy, maybe yet's, but tire kickers. It's mm -hmm. just like, I wanted to win quicker. So I was going to focus on the people with a clear why a clear, more successful future that I could solve. And it works and yeah. it's better for your buyer and it's it good really for is. karma. It's also good for your pocketbook. <laughs> good for all. Yeah. Win, win, win. Win, so win, win. I want to shift gears here a little bit and we're, we're coming up pretty close on time here, but I want to sort of run through a quick exercise for, for my listeners and for you. Uh, let's, let's suppose there's someone out there listening to this episode, uh, or, you know, handfuls of people, hopefully out there listening to this episode who are like, this Brent guy is really interesting. I want to get in touch with his company and, and work with them. It sounds like they, they deliver some pretty good hands-on coaching and they have some great ideas and frameworks for success. If I were to, to, you know, call up Winalytics tomorrow and say, Hey, I'm, you know, so-and-so, and I lead such and such team in sales, what's sort of the first thing that you do with a new client that comes on board? And, and, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit about your, your, you know, new, new client process, your onboarding process. What can I expect as a new customer of, of Winalytics uh, in my, you know, partnership with you? Well, the, the first thing we always do, uh, even in the prospect, the partnership phase is we'll do a go-to-market assessment. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're working with sales teams that, uh, you know, we'll include it. it. It really is just a way of like, we do it for free. Right. Um, and we're basically just asking for a set of documents that are looking at how holistic is your go-to-market strategy. The prospects that are coming over to you from marketing or prospecting sales team, how well are they being educated? Uh, how well are they being qualified? Are you doing the right things to anchor on the buyer wise? So it's all about do you have a value-driven go-to-market strategy? So that's the first thing. It, it's free. And oh, very cool. uh, we, we qualify people in terms of, are they a good fit? Are they, are they solving for problems we can solve for? Uh, and then under mutual NDA, we'll kind of review documents and we'll do an hour presentation. We always try to get to two to three things that could just, they could focus on even if they don't work with us. Um, so that's thing one is just, value-driven go-to-market strategy. Where are you? What could you improve? When we start to work with teams, our very first thing is to build what we call value plays. And we do it in about a month. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's with the leadership, usually sales and marketing leadership. And it really is just saying, how good are we at asking our buyer questions to get to those, those success statements? And then what is our content? Do we have content to speak back to our capabilities, our stories, our insight posts, our white papers to show how we helped solve that problem? Because most content, honestly, is organized as individual assets that can be really noisy to your buyers. Yeah. And so what you want to do is just, again, go back to ready education. If, if they're working on um, the, the student community, here are a set of things we might draw on. If they're working mm-hmm. on uh, one communication platform, here are a set of things that we might be working on. If they're working on student retention, here are a set of things. So it makes it easier to now prospect around value. Mm-hmm sell around value, close around value, expand around value. So thinking about everybody has personas. A lot of times they don't connect their personas to value that actually brings your personas together around a transaction. So everybody needs value plays. And we usually do that in the first month. That's great. That sounds like a, it sounds like a really good exercise for any team to go through. Uh, now I'll ask the, the follow-up question that's logical at this point. So how, how would someone get in touch with you? Let's, let's say there is someone out there listening that wants to get in touch and learn more about uh, what they can do better in terms of their discovery process and go to market. Uh, how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, they're welcome to email me directly uh, at bkeltner at winalytics.com, W-I-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S.com. They can also go to uh, our book website is authenticitywins.com. Can download for free uh, the foreword to the book. It's written by David Meerman Scott, who's a pretty well-known uh, marketing and growth strategist, uh, as well as the first chapter of the book. Uh, so they'll they'll learn probably some things just from that. They can download it for free. Awesome. And I will, uh, just for the listeners, I'll put in the show notes, uh, that email address and the, the link to the, the book download. Brent, it's been a pleasure talking and hearing your story and getting some very actionable takeaways from, from this episode today. Is there anything else, uh, that you care to share to leave us, leave us with? No, no, Jesse. Awesome questions. And I love all your instincts are really strong. I love meeting like-minded revenue leaders, people that are, we're, we're the future. Product pitching is the past. <laughs> the, awesome. the sales process is done. It's now all a mutual process. What are we both committing to? So there is a, a future that I'm pretty excited about. I, I totally agree with that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing that insight. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Jesse. 